SpongeBob SquarePants is racist. You can go home now. We got nothing else to talk about. This is racist and bigoted and wrong. SpongeBob. He, he's, he's, he's a... There it is. It, 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 it's, it's a cartoon sponge with feet whose best friend is a starfish who quite literally could be Joe Biden. Screw you. That's a great joke. That's actually an insult to Patrick, and I apologize, everybody. All the SpongeBob, uh, SpongeBob heads out there. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you on Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. The story has to do with an episode. And you say to me, Tony, you're really leading the show. You're really leading the top story. Is SpongeBob? Well, yeah. This cancel culture conversation, this desire and willingness to find hate in everything and to teach people to find hate in everything is destructive to society. This attack on Western civilization comes in the strangest of ways, but this is not about SpongeBob. This is about the everything that we experience, the unwillingness from people just simply to say, huh, and move on with their day. No, they must find it and they must search it. Wait till you hear me talk about Band-Aids. No, no, I said wait for it. Now you sit on your hands and you just listen to me for a second because I'm going to get you to the promised land. There's an uh, episode of SpongeBob called Quarantine's Crab. And in the episode of Quarantine's Crab... There is something called clam flu. It's a cartoon. It's a cartoon. And in the episode, they get something in season 12. It's the quarantine crab episode. They are quarantined at a restaurant called the Krusty Crab by the health inspector. Leads the characters to try and figure out who has the illness, which is referred to as... Clam flu. And what it could do, you see, is contribute to negative feelings toward those who are different. And, uh, it, it, you know, because the people who are sick are tossed into the freezer. I guess it's going to lead to a spate of people throwing others uh, into walk-in refrigerators or going and buying whatever they can at their local appliance store. Do you understand how demented you have to be to go down this road? I watched Tom and Jerry cartoons my entire growing up. I neither hate cats nor mice. I don't want to be around either one. I grew up watching Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner. I never once thought to buy an anvil from Acme, whatever it is, and try and drop it on a bird. Never happened. Never happened. Never once thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the edge of some kind of canyon and blow up some TNT. Nope. Not once. This is mythology. They invent these things to be offended by. They actually have pulled these episodes, this and another episode, from the streaming service. Don't they know they're wrong? We know they're wrong. 
We should say they're wrong. We should laugh in their face. And for anybody, and I would, I would say this as a parent. I meet a parent who is upset with SpongeBob SquarePants. I no longer allow my kid to play with that parent. That's crazy. I know, I know, it's unfair to the kid. I got to protect somehow, and daddy's got to have some rules. And the first rule is, if you think SpongeBob, because it's got an episode with clam flu, is going to lead to the other rising of children, you have to stand over there. We, oh, no, no, no. No, my kid, oh, he's busy today. Oh, so busy. Very popular kid. Too popular for your nerd. Oh, no, sorry. Hey, may, may, check in, uh, check this time next year. Uh, maybe you'll be less crazy. All right, all right, no, no, gotta go, gotta go. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. That's the plan. Now, you say to me, Tony, Did you say something about Band-Aids? I did say something about Band-Aids. I was on Newsmax yesterday. And the story goes that there is a teacher. It usually starts that way. There is a teacher who is upset. Unhappy. Very, very bothered. Because, well, Band-Aids come in this color and it's hard to find band-aids that come in other colors and band-aids as we all know are racist band-aids are leading to a culture of white supremacy here is that teacher the question asked to me and my response and calling it white privilege. White privilege. Think about it. Whose flesh tone is this? I have brown band-aids in my classroom. I had to special order them. They're twice as much as these and they're hard to find and they're frequently out of stock. But when I hand a brown child a white Band-Aid, I am literally adding insult to injury. And I refuse to do that in my classroom. Before we go any further, um, I don't know about you, but if your flesh tone looks like Band-Aid, seek professional help. I think you should find a doctor immediately, if not sooner. Now, you're going to hear me uh, uh, the, way, the way I discussed this and the way I got into this was not being opposed to uh, multicolored band-aids. I don't think there's anything weird about the idea that you would want a band-aid that matches flesh tone. I actually don't. I think that's totally fine. And as people have pointed out on social media, if you follow me at Tony Katz on Twitter, uh, if you you are into that kind of thing, people are like, what happened to clear band-aids? There's liquid band-aids. But is this a conversation of, well, the Band-Aid itself is about white privilege? No, it's about the following. When there is no overt racism present. Well, two things. Number one, uh, it wouldn't matter to me what color Band-Aid makes Band-Aid in as long as it will stop the bleeding. (laughs) I'm good. And when it's Muppets or when it's a rainbow or when it's 900 other designs or your favorite football team, as long as it stops the bleeding. I don't think there's any issue here with Band-Aid saying, hey, we can make we could do we could go full Crayola on this and really do very, very well. But what you're talking about, Steve, is critical race theory. This is what critical race theory does. It, It is 
purpose, its existence, is to find the racism and the bigotry in all things. It's why when schools engage in teaching critical race theory, whether it be the students or the teachers, they are teaching bigotry. And this really does offend a, a lot of people who buy into this, but their offense is not something I can worry about because what they're doing to the rest of society and to kids is horrific. To try and find, to look to find, to desire to find racism in all things is a nasty way to live a life and therefore sets the idea that everybody's against you. Everybody wants to attack you. Everybody wants to hate you. So yeah, sure, have Band-Aids in all the colors. I'm down with it. I may buy a few. But describing it as the worst thing and adding insult to injury, that's critical race theory at play. And that's what it is. Critical race theory ruins the mind and the soul. It poisons people. It's a cartoon about someone being sick and who is it? And so they got thrown into a freezer. You understand that the four people who are thrown into a freezer, I've got a photo of it right here. And there's SpongeBob SquarePants. That's a talking sponge. Then uh, there, there, there's Patrick. He, he is a, the sponge is yellow, by the way. Patrick is a pink starfish. Then uh, there's some characters I, I don't know. This one looks like a giant egg. It's a fish of some kind. I don't know that one. And then this one's a whale. That's Pearl. Oh, Pearl is the whale? Yeah. Oh, look at you. Look at you knowing things, producer Ari. Um, Talking whales, talking starfish, talking sponges. You've got many, many more issues. If you think that this is going to teach people to otherize. Oh, ooh, they're sick. Ooh, we need to push them aside. By the way, if someone's sick, they should be pushed aside and sent home. Because they're sick. No one's angry with you. It doesn't last forever. We're not talking about living with cancer here. We're talking about spreading the flu. You don't think we know the difference? That's where these people are at. They really, their hatred for us is so great is that, and they think that we're not capable of making these differentiations. They think we can't teach our kids about these differentiations. They hate us. And then they think they are good and noble and decent and kind. By going about teaching people and demanding people find the damage and the hate in all things, like, for example, the Band-Aid. It really does make sense if you make Band-Aids in a lot of different shades. really does. Honestly, if you made Band-Aids in Trump orange, you'd sell a billion of them. Go, go ahead. I'm telling you right now, Band-Aid or Curad or whatever. If you want to make something in Trump orange, people would buy it. People would buy it. This isn't a debate. These are the facts as presented. If you if you make them in in all different shades of 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 white or peach or or or, or brown or black, people will buy them and they'll gladly buy them and be like, this is cool. Yeah. I think as a marketing conversation, solid. But to think it adds insult to injury, that's where critical race theory comes to play. That's how evil it is. That's how insidious and ugly and twisted it is. That's how it's, sh- it's showing you right there how this horrible idea 
This bigotry, which has permeated schools and colleges, it teaches people how to hate, and it teaches people that if they do not hate and find things, decide things are evil, they can't be good people. You can't just put the Band-Aid, you can't just put the adhesive bandage on the child and say you're going to be okay. No. That in and of itself has to be an expression of your decency. That in and of itself has to be an expression of your wokeness. If all you have is the Band-Aid that's brown and you put it on a white child, will that also be bigotry? Or will that teach them to understand the struggle? They got cut. Put a Band-Aid on them and send them back out to play. Or do what all our fathers did of a certain generation. Rub some dirt on it and get back in there. Critical race theory is evil and teaches hate. And that's why you should be opposed to it. I'm Tony Katz. Let's be fully clear. When I quote the New York Times, I always give fair warning. And if the Matt Gates story was broke by the New York Times, give it all the warning in the world, except I shared the interview he did on Tucker Carlson. I don't share New York Times stories. They've proven themselves to be completely and totally unworthy and untrustworthy. I mean, who seriously reads the New York Times and says, hmm, I trust everything they say? Well, most of America, a bunch of damn fools. And I would tell you that that number is going down considerably. Time and again, proven wrong. Time and again, proven to be ideological. And this, what I'm about to share... Now, this is just flat-out dangerous. This is looking to get somebody hurt. Let me say it again. How else can it be taken? And I leave it to you. This is the New York Times trying to get people hurt, specifically 12 jury members and two alternates. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. The phone number, 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. Twitter, parlor, Instagram, at Tony Katz. Like, follow, do all the things. Here's the tweet from the New York Times to an article they have. Who are the jurors in the Derek Chauvin case? Of course, Derek Chauvin, the former officer charged with murdering George Floyd, or at least certainly leading uh, to uh, conditions that caused his death. A lot of fentanyl in his system. We know that. I am not, by the way, looking to condone the actions of Officer Chauvin. I'm saying they're looking for these murder uh, charges. They're looking to make something stick. I don't know if they've gone through everything they should or if they're asking, they're looking at too many charges and they should have narrowed things down. That's going to be for lawyers to decide. Here's the tweet. The 12 jury members and two alternates in the Derek Chauvin trial remain anonymous and their faces can't be shown on camera. Here's what we do know about them. Oh my. Ain't that something. Let's translate, shall we? We're now going to write an article based on everything we can find out about these jurors. You can do the rest. Hey, don't you think we should have a murder conviction? Well, here's what we know about the 12 people and two alternates who can do it. Maybe uh, maybe you know one of these guys. Maybe a well-placed tweet Maybe some people find out where they live and, you know, uh, 
Go hang out uh, over by their uh, by their house. That's it. That's it. They'll go hang out over by their house. That's what'll happen. Maybe somebody will have a talk with somebody. Hey, you're on that. You're on that trial. Wow. Wow. Oh, don't ask how I know. I found out. I got a guy and a friend. You you don't need to know. Well, here's here's what you need to know. Man, it's a lot of responsibility. A lot of responsibility you got there. My gosh, can you imagine the amount of responsibility you got? Paulie, can you believe the amount of responsibility this guy got? I know. I know. Who could believe it? America, what a, what a country. But listen, 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 friend, pal, buddy, friend, pal, listen. Um, uh, murder too, right? Right? I mean, there's no other way to see it, right? Murder too. Listen, you you wouldn't let us all down, would you? You you wouldn't let us down. I mean, look how e- look how easy it was for me to find you. My gosh, you know you know I'm slippery with an email. Oh my gosh, it's, uh, sometimes I just send out things I don't even know what I'm sending out. So, uh, murder too, right? Because you know, it'd be a shame if something happens. You know what I mean? That's what's coming. That's what the New York Times just set into motion. Trust these people? Are you out of your head? Now, let's make the argument that I am completely and totally out of my mind. Give me the reason for this article, then. Oh, it's it, public's obsessed with this. I, I, don't, I don't get it either. People are obsessed with it. Uh, no, 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 no. That's not enough. The only reason for an article like this is to say, here's the little bit of what we know. Maybe you can go find out more information. You give me another reason for this article. I, no, the reason I gave you is the reason. It's there's no. It's not a reason. What you gave me, producer Ari, is some fluff to give cover to the New York Times. I'm not mad at you, baby. I'm not. CNN, I'm mad at you. CNN and Fox News both did stories on the jurors since I've been watching TV. Are they insinuating that they should be killed too? If you put out a story, any I'll say anyone puts out a story that says, "Here's what we know about the jurors so far." That is an invitation to try and intimidate. Period. We don't have to dance. We just have to say it the way it is. Juries need to be able to do what they do, and none of these jury members should ever go public. They shouldn't write books, nothing. See, when you have a, a, a train of thought that isn't based on ideology, but based on decency, it's pretty easy to come up with these answers. I'm Tony Katz. Well, clearly we got to do a follow-up on the jurors because Ari's, like, producer Ari said, well, you know, they've, they've written about this at Fox News. And I said, as I said, I don't, I don't care where they've written about it. If you're looking for information about jurors, like they're looking for information about jurors in the, uh, in the George Floyd case there in Minnesota, you're, you're, you're begging for somebody to, to, to cause a problem. Sure enough, Fox News has a story. Here's what we know about this juror. Here's what we know about that juror. A white woman in her 50s or this in a... What the? the and uh, this is exactly what the New York Times has. My, my thoughts don't change. My thoughts don't change. If you told me the makeup of the jury is seven white people and five black people, I'd be like, oh, okay. Right? People want to know the makeups of these things. I don't know why. I want to know if they're competent. We've got a jury. They're competent. Thank you. Done here. The New York Times has got a piece. Here's what we know so far about the jurors in the, in the Derek Chauvin case, right? 
officer accused of killing uh, George Floyd, former officer. I, I didn't know these things. I, there were going to be different rules if it was Fox or if it was the New York Times. The rules are the same. What the hell is wrong with us? Some rules are universal. No, wait, wait, take that back. All rules are universal. They apply all the way around. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Representative Ocasio-Cortez has gone back to her childlike ways. And I am not discussing where she looks at Joe Biden's $2 trillion, $2.2 trillion infrastructure package and says not nearly enough. Well, of course not. It doesn't satisfy all of her wants and desires. It's like when you give somebody, give a kid a cookie, but they wanted two cookies. You give them a cookie, but they wanted a cupcake. You gave them a cupcake, but they wanted ice cream. They wanted a cupcake with the ice cream. It's not enough. Her problem, Representative Ocasio-Cortez, the important context here is that it's $2.25 trillion spread out over 10 years. The COVID package was $1.9 trillion for this year alone, with some provisions lasting two years. That's not 100% true. Some of these things uh, on the COVID package, I thought, spread out over a couple of years, specifically with regards to schools, and more money went as you got closer to re-election. $650 billion to U.S. infrastructure, $400 billion to care for the elderly and disabled, $300 billion for housing infrastructure, $300 billion to revive U.S. manufacturing. You don't need $300 billion to revive U.S. manufacturing. You just got to let people manufacture. You want to revive U.S. manufacturing, it doesn't take a dollar except for whatever the cost is to rescind three or four poorly placed regulations and allow people to actually build things again. I could revive U.S. manufacturing by bringing drug manufacturing to the United States and offering a great opportunity for it to happen. Some people, that's tax incentives. Okay, that might be it. But how about making these areas where you're going to put these, these plants to, to create these drugs, not to design them, but to actually physically make them, and you make it easier to do other things? There is, actually, I have the book right here. I literally have the book right here. It's called Order Without Design. How Markets Shape Cities. So it's, it's a book about urban planning. And yes, I'm the kind of guy who has on his desk a book about urban planning. On my desk, I have a book about urban planning, and I have a book uh, about civility by, uh, by Edward Schills that I'm going through. The kind of book where I'm like underlining things I'm like this, this I got to remember. I did an, uh, an event with, with uh, the guy who wrote this, uh, Professor Elaine Berteau. And he was discussing the fact that if you want to build your city out, right, and you're looking to attract to this or that, right, businesses, because that's what cities do. Cities attract businesses, and the businesses attract people, and the people attract entertainment, and, you know, that's me talking about it, and that's the that's secular motion. Well, one of the ways to attract people, uh, businesses, people think, is, is tax credits, right? Tax credit here and tax credit there. No, 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 no. Make it easier for people to do business there. So take a look, for example, at the permitting process. What if to get a permit, uh, a business license, didn't take five months, it took five days. And when you say to me, what takes five months? Start talking to business owners. Start talking to them about what it takes if they want to expand and build onto their business, if they want to add a bathroom, if they want to change something in the kitchen, if they want new signage, 
The cities very often work against the businesses in trying to build. If you want to have a, a plant of some kind, sometimes people will be like, no, we don't want that in our, in, our, in our city. Okay, you don't get the business. But the amounts of, of, of jumping through hoops that they have to do, that's what prevents them from coming. So it's more than just a, a worthy tax uh, low, being, being a tax low haven. You have to create the ability for these businesses to actually get something done. Stop being in their way. So if, if I was a Midwest state, let's say the state of, let's say the state of Indiana. Oh, I live in Indiana. Huh. What a coincidence. I would be trying to attract drug manufacturing to the state of Indiana like it was my job. Now, it's very possible that's what the governor's doing privately, quietly. Maybe you don't want to let the governor of, of Nebraska know what you're doing. Maybe you want to keep that little on the DL there, producer Ari. You know what I'm saying? You don't need to let people all up in your business. Sometimes you, it's okay. You don't, They don't need to know what you're doing, right? They think everything's just, you know, status quo. Next thing, bam, you got five processing places right there. They're building all the pills that get designed in the U.S. anyway, and everyone else is like, what just happened? That's possible. I just don't know if it's happening. We should be encouraging this because as we saw from COVID, we need to have our own drug supply. What about semiconductors? Are you telling me that we simply have no possibility of creating semiconductors in the United States? You take a look at the automobile industry right now. If you're in, if you own a car dealership, if you're in this world, give us a call. 833-GOT-TONY. 833-468-8669. Here's what I'm hearing. I am hearing that the semiconductor issue is preventing new cars from arriving, and we are going to see a shortage in vehicles. That we literally are going to have to start laying people off in plants. Because we can't get all of the provisions necessary to build the vehicle. You telling me that's not enough of an infrastructure conversation for us to say, we should start building these things. Oh, the United States can't build semiconductors. Maybe we need to rethink what we can build. Maybe we need to rethink all the things we have put in the way of those things being built here. Oh, Tony, we don't have the manpower. Are you sure? Let me ask the question this way. I find that people on the political left, when they talk about people coming into the country and, oh, we shouldn't have borders or this, that, or, 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 or the other, it's, it's, they're always coming in right from the southern border to do the jobs that Americans don't want to do. As if somehow the only thing someone from Guatemala is capable of doing is mowing a lawn. It's a despicable way to think of somebody. It's a very elitist way to think of somebody. You think there's anybody coming up from Guatemala who have given the training could could work the line? Work in the creation of semiconductors? The point that I'm making is that this idea that we don't have enough people, no, 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 we could, but we could do it our way, with our vision, properly, legally, safely, you just got to be willing to think, baby. You got to be willing to expand that mind. I don't know if you got to go full on tripping. 
right? I don't know if you got to drop something and then end up in the ether. Next thing you know, you're watching episodes of Legion backwards, just flat out freaking out. But you got to think differently. People like Representative Ocasio-Cortez don't think differently. Same old, same old, same old childlike thinking. Oh, it's not enough money. We need more. We need more. Did you hear her about the border? Oh, let me help you. Representative Ocasio-Cortez talking about the border. No, no, no. Don't you? Oh, well. I thought I, I thought I shut that off, producer. All right. See what happened? Some people are still freaking out. Here she is talking about the border, and don't you dare call it a surge. They want to say, what about the surge? Well, first of all, just gut check, stop. Anyone who's using the term surge around you consciously is trying to invoke a militaristic frame. And that's a problem because these, this is not a surge. These are children and they are not insurgents, and we are not being invaded, which, by the way, is a white supremacist idea, philosophy, the idea that if an other is coming in the population, that this is like an invasion of who we are. When I say childlike, I mean childlike. First, we should note that invasion is discussed in the Constitution, Article 4, Section 4. Right? Just so we're we're clear that it's there as as easy to read as anything uh, else. The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion. So if she doesn't like the definition of invasion, that you've got migrant caravans coming up from Honduras, well, that's her problem. She's a child. She can't accept reality. That's fine. But the argument that she's making, this white supremacy argument, well, this is to take away from the problem at the border because she doesn't believe in borders to begin with. See, they shouldn't say this because we're talking about children. And oh, look what the terrible thing they're saying about children. Those white supremacists are just evil. We're talking about children and children coming to the border and border and children being kidnapped and taken to the border and children being sex trafficked while they get uh, to the border. Children being abandoned at the border for dead. And your argument is we shouldn't call it a surge. See, that's the problem with a child. They're so busy being worrying about the names, they don't know how to worry about the thing because they don't know how to answer the thing. As a matter of fact, they think the thing, which is a strong, secure border, is in and of itself bigoted. That's Representative Ocasio-Cortez, a child. We should treat her as such. When she wants to grow up, we'll be here for her. I'm Tony Katz. So Laura Trump is a Fox News contributor. And Laura Trump got an interview with her father-in-law, the former president of the United States. I think she used an inside connection, personally. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's great to be with you. Well, she she posts to Instagram uh, on her 
her Instagram feed. I called her Laura. I believe it's pronounced Laura. Um, she's got 1.4 million followers. Join us tonight, and it's a picture of her and uh, and 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 the president. However, Facebook notified Trump people that said any content posted on Facebook, quote, in the voice of President Trump, is not currently allowed on our platforms, including new posts with President Trump speaking. It will be removed if posted, resulting in additional limitations on accounts that posted it. You can't post an interview? What kind of... What kind of madness? I didn't... here, here's the, the, the email that, the, that went out. We are, or it was actually a message. We are reaching out to let you know that we removed content from Lara Trump's Facebook page that featured President Trump speaking. In line with the block we placed on Donald Trump's Facebook and Instagram accounts, further content posted in the voice of Donald Trump will be removed and result in additional limitations on the accounts. That's creepy. And these services deserve your derision. But here's the question. Are you saying that we can't utilize his words or we can't utilize his voice? So, for example, if I, Tony Katz, hire a Donald Trump impersonator who looks like Donald Trump and sounds like Donald Trump, but clearly isn't Donald Trump, can I put them up and basically read the words of the former president? Is that okay? Let's say that's not okay. It, 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 parody is all of a sudden not allowed. That's, that's fine. That's fine. I am going to go about hiring hmm, who, who's, Kenneth Branagh. I needed an actor of, uh, of gravitas. Kenneth Branagh, Murder on the Orient Express, your Shakespearean uh, guru, and I'm going to hire him to read Donald, a statement from Donald Trump from his website, wherever, and, and I'm going to take video of it. I'm going to put that on Facebook. Is that allowed? Is that he? Okay, all right. So, so, so let, let's try it this way. I am going to hire two drunk guys at a local bar to play the parts of Lara Trump and President Trump and recreate the entire interview reading from scripts where they're pretty wasted, they fall down a lot, and maybe puke on each other. Is Facebook, are you in or are you out? I want to know how far this goes. I want to know where the end of the censorship machine is and how they come to this conclusion based on what kind of theory. And then the follow-up is, show me the people who think that Facebook is doing good, and I will show you the enemy. The enemy of what? Well, free and thinking people with free and thinking minds who want to be able to utilize them and know that when they don't like something, clickety-click-click-click, they can turn it off. How about a reenactment with Ari and myself? Producer Ari, you, 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 can be, you can be Laura Trump or President Trump. I'll be Donald. Yeah, sure. Done. I will play the part of Laura Trump. Find the interview. Let's do a full transcribing of it. We will shoot the video, and we will, and we will post it. 
Let's see if Facebook takes it down. Honestly, what's the worst that could happen? Find me on Parlor, Instagram, and Twitter at Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz today.